Well, welcome again. And worship team, thank you for leading us in a time of just declaring God's goodness and God's glory. And mothers, I hope you enjoyed that little fun, cute Mother's Day video. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Of course, a special shout out to my mom. Happy Mother's Day, Donna, my mom. I love you. And a special Mother's Day greeting to my wife, Rika. You are an amazing mom to our three kiddos, and they are blessed to have you. And so am I. And on behalf of Mother's Day, as we continue in our teaching series called Uncertainty, where we're talking about having a certain faith during uncertain times, we're going to be looking at a special woman today by the name of Esther. And so what's cool about today is we're going to really have a chance to not only celebrate God, but really also celebrate and honor women as well. Now, Esther is an action-packed book of the Bible. Uh, There's conflict, there's suspense, there's twists and turns, there's greed, there's adversity, there's victory. It's an incredible book. I absolutely encourage you to read it. And so we're just going to look at a piece um, of it today, but I encourage you over the next day or two, just pull out Esther and read all of it. It's a, it's a captivating, um, fascinating story that I think will encourage all of you. Now, before we dive in, I want to let you know right up front one of the challenges that I'm going to be giving you today. And that challenge is going to be to fast. That's right. That means a food-free day, one day a week for the next three weeks. So for the rest of May, I'm going to be challenging you to fast one day a week. Why would I do that? Well, as we get into the book of Esther, I think you'll see why that challenge will emerge as one of our application steps for today. Now, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me right now to the book of Esther, chapter 4. And we're going to be in verses 11 through 16. That's it. Out of the whole book, we're going to just look at this really uh, powerful pivot point in Esther chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And uh, I want to let you know a little bit right up front, too, as well, our big idea for today. And here's what it is. God's sovereignty does not excuse our passivity. That's right. God's sovereignty does not give us an excuse for our passivity. And I want to also be clear about this. Esther is not the hero in the book of Esther. God is. God uses Esther. He uses her in a mighty way, but ultimately, God's the hero. And I think you'll see all of these themes emerge as we go through the book of Esther. Now, I want to give you about 60 seconds. And because I use the word that a lot of us are just going to hear and move on, or maybe we don't fully understand, and it's sovereignty. I said God's sovereignty does not give us an excuse for our passivity. So I want to give you 60 seconds to talk with the people in the room that you're with, or maybe you're on the phone with somebody, or you can text somebody if you're alone, and just say, how would you define God's sovereignty? How would you explain God's sovereignty? So take the next 60 seconds and talk about that amongst yourselves.
All right, I'm sure you came up with some great answers. Uh, I'd like to have you think about God's sovereignty through this definition today. Nothing happens in the universe without God's awareness, authority, control, or plan. Nothing happens in this universe without uh, God's awareness, his authority, his control, or plan. And if God is sovereign... And if God has a plan and if he's in control, I guess that means we can just kick back, right? We can just kick back, let everything unfold. We don't have to worry. That's not the attitude God would have us uh, take on. And that's definitely not what we see in the book of Esther. And so we want to really look closely at this understanding that God's sovereignty does not give us an excuse for our passivity. Now with that, let's dive into Esther chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And we're going to be looking at the most popular verses in the book of Esther. But before we unpack that, uh, we're going to do it, by the way, in three movements. Uh, Before we unpack that, I think it's really important to understand what took place before we got to Esther chapter 4. So the first movement we're going to see here is really a dilemma. It's a dilemma that we see. So here's what happens leading up to Esther chapter 4 and into chapter 4 to help present the dilemma. Let's talk about the key people. First, we have King Ahasuerus, otherwise known as King Xerxes. King Xerxes is the king of Persia at this time. And uh, this is his empire between about 485 to 465 BC. And the account that we're looking at takes place in what's known as modern day Iran. And it's going to be right around 483 B.C. or so in one of the uh, empire's uh, capital cities called Susa. And so this is all taking place, and we see first King Xerxes. We're going to call him Xerxes instead of Ahasuerus because it's easier, and honestly, it's just cooler sounding also. But then we also have Esther, and her Hebrew name is Hadassah. And she's a Jewish woman. Uh, She was orphaned after the death of her parents. She's a minority She's a refugee. She's living in a foreign land among people who are hostile to her nationality. So there's Esther. We're also going to see Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jewish man. Uh, He's Esther's older cousin. Some think that uh, Mordecai is Esther's uncle. That's not true. He's actually an older cousin. He actually adopts Esther after her parents die, and now he's operating really as her dad. And we see that he's going to play a major role in the story. Just to give some context there, we see how their paths merge together in Esther chapter 2, verse 7. It says that he, referencing Mordecai, was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and her mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So we find out a little bit more about the relationship and a little bit more about Esther. She was easy on the eyes, she was known for her beauty, but she was also just a simple Jewish girl, orphaned, and now... uh, Um, adopted by her cousin, older cousin Mordecai. And then we have a guy named Haman. He's the bad guy. He's ambitious, he's arrogant, he's racist, he's murderous, and he's power hungry. He was Xerxes' right-hand man, kind of like a prime minister. So he was Xerxes' most uh, trusted official. 
And if you were to think of how that plays out, if you've watched Aladdin, think of Jafar. Haman is really like Jafar in this whole story. Now, here's an abbreviated summary of what happens between these figures leading up to Esther chapter 4. Basically, Xerxes holds a big party, six months long. It's a party basically saying, look how awesome I am and look at all that I have. And he uh, concludes this party by summoning, there's lots of drinking and festivities, and he summons his uh, then wife, Queen Vashti, to come and basically show her off because of her beauty. Well, she refuses. She's not going to play that game. Well, this causes a ruckus, and next thing you know, Xerxes dismisses Queen Vashti. He kicks her to the curb. She's done, and now he's going to hold really a beauty pageant. He imposes a beauty pageant by uh, taking women from all over Persia, 127 provinces, I believe, from all over Persia. He brings them together and basically has queen tryouts, and whoever wins, whoever pleases him the most is going to be the new queen to take Vashti's place. Now, we see all that unfolding. We see Esther is taken in that group of women and she actually ends up winning the king's favor and becomes the next queen of Persia. Now, later, there was a day when Esther's cousin Mordecai overhears a plot uh, to kill King Xerxes. He makes that known to Esther. Esther makes that known to the king. And then uh, he is saved from assassination. And Mordecai is the good guy. And and these events unfold. So we see Esther starting to mediate now between really disaster and what the king needs to know. Now, fast forward a little bit later, right after that event, Haman now has been promoted. And he's feeling really good about himself. And it's it's now a cultural norm that when Haman walks by, everybody bows to him. They're paying reverence to him and homage to him, except for one guy. Any guesses? Mordecai. Mordecai, Esther's cousin, is not bowing to Haman when he comes by. This aggravates Haman. And this happens multiple times. And finally, because of Mordecai's devout Jewish nature, where he's not going to bow to any man, only to God, uh, Haman's done with it. And he says, not only am I going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill all the Jews. Because they all think like he thinks. And so he goes to King Xerxes, paints a portrait of the Jewish people as this rebellious group of people that is a threat to the kingdom. Xerxes hands the guy a blank check and says, well, do what you want with them. Go ahead and kill them off. And so Haman sends out a letter to all provinces saying, we're going to kill all the Jews. Well, Mordecai catches wind of this, of course. And so then he goes to Esther to try to warn her and tell her to intercede for the Jewish people and warn the king. And that's where we then are dropped into our text. So quick summary of where we've been. Now let's look at where we are. Esther chapter 4, look with me at verse 11 to 12 at this dilemma. All the king's servants and the people of the king's promises know, this is Esther speaking, that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except 
the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come to the king for these 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. What we see transpire here is now communication is taking place between Mordecai and Esther between these servants. These servants, some of the the women that tend to and the other uh, servants of the royalty that tend to Esther are now carrying messages back and forth between Mordecai and Esther. And so as Mordecai says, hey, here's what's going on. She's going, hey, look, I can't do anything about it. She's basically saying, no. She's hesitant. She's going, look, I can't just uh, show up unannounced before the king. You have to be summoned. Look what happened to Queen Vashti. And there's a law that if anyone shows up and, and the king is not pleased with their appearance, it's death. They can instantly be put to death unless the king raises his little golden scepter and allows this engagement. And so she's hesitant. She's afraid. She doesn't want to do this. Talk about living in uncertain moments and living in uncertain times. Well, Mordecai is not letting off. He's basically saying, you have to intercede for our people. You have to go with the situation. Now, uh, Esther's primary concern is her own personal safety. She's kind of in the mindset that uh, she's going to choose passivity. I'm just going to sit back and let it unfold, and hopefully uh, I'll go unharmed. But Mordecai doesn't back down. Look at verses 13 and 14 now in Esther 4. Then Mordecai told them, those servants, to reply to Esther, Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have come, have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. One of the most popular phrases out of the book of Esther. Mordecai turns up the heat. He's basically saying that the most dangerous thing for her to do right now is nothing, to be passive. She's not safe, and her position as queen will not shield her from the destruction that's about to come, not just for all the Jews, but eventually to her as well. And in verse 14, we see that phrase that speaks to God's sovereignty. God has promised plans for Israel. When you look at the Old Testament, starting even with Genesis, and as you move through his history and prophecy, God has promises for Israel. So there's no way that all the Jews are going to be eradicated. And, and this is kind of common knowledge for the Jews, even though they're living in exile in Persia. So God's not done with Israel. Being being exiles in Persia is not going to be the end of his people. He's got a promise and a plan, a sovereign promise and a sovereign plan. So if Esther decides not to act and to stay passive, God's going to raise up deliverance somewhere else, through someone else. But now Esther has the opportunity to be utilized. She has an opportunity to be used by God in his sovereignty for his plan. It's an opportunity. And then we have this compelling and well-known statement from Mordecai. Who knows, he says to Esther, whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is really a, a statement of believing that, look, you're in the right place at the right time in the right moment. God's providence, God's sovereignty. And so how do you not know, Esther, that this is the golden opportunity, custom designed by God for you to have a chance to act upon? And so we see here in this moment uh, this beautiful rags-to-riches story that an orphan girl becomes a queen of Persia, but now she's got a dilemma. 
She has to make a decision. Is she going to be passive and just hope for the best? Or is she going to step out boldly and take action? What will she do? So the first movement is a dilemma. But then we see the second movement is a decision. Esther has to make a decision. She has a choice. Either out of fear, she will choose a passive response in an effort to save herself and just hope for the best, just keep her head down, keep her Jewish identity a secret and hidden, and just dodge the unique opportunity, or she can try to make a difference. Or will she take this risk? Will she use her position to save other people? Go to the king or not go to the king? Here's the decision she has to make. So let's pick it up in verse 15 of Esther 4 and see what happens. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf, and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. You see that? She flipped. She went from, I can't do anything, I'm going to choose passivity, I'm afraid, to, you know what, I'm still afraid, but I'm going to go for it. I'm going to not be passive. I'm going to take action. She's realizing it's better to die for trying to make a difference than trying to um, and remain faithful than to survive and not make a difference and be faithless. So yes, God is sovereign. Nothing is outside his awareness, his authority, his control, and his plan, but that did not give Esther an excuse to not act on the opportunity before her. So let's look at her game plan. She says, let's fast. Ah, there's an action step we're going to be looking for in a minute. See, in the Bible, you see fasting and prayer go together. This uh, is not a fast to lose a few pounds. This is not a health cleanse. This is not a uh, political-driven fast, you know, making a statement. This fast is driven by grief for the situation, and it's an effort to reach out beyond human ingenuity and power. A, a human fast is not going to accomplish anything here. She is asking Mordecai to call all the Jewish people to fast on her behalf. Look, I'm going to go to the king. This is going to take a supernatural um, event for me not to die and for the king to do anything with this information. And so she's calling for a fast. This is really a God-dependent moment because we know that fasting and prayer are linked together in Scripture. And so she takes uh, notice of the opportunity and relies on a supernatural intervention for anything to happen. That's why she calls for the fast. And so fasting is often seen in Scripture when people are uh, triggered by a deep pain or a longing to grow or to prepare for an intense season or situation. And, the, and what they would do is deprive themselves of the body's desire for food to prioritize the soul's need for spiritual nourishment and for community with God, to commune with God. So Esther rallies the people to fast. 
and in so doing, places a trust in God to bring about the favor that she would need to not die and for the king to act upon the information. She made a decision, a decision that reinforces our understanding that God's sovereignty does not give us an excuse for passivity. We have to take action for God's glory and oftentimes for other people's good. So first we saw a dilemma. Now we see this decision. Thirdly, we see deliverance. Now, even though it's not in the verses we're reading, uh, you just have to know the outcome. If you keep reading in Esther, what you will find is the deliverance of the Jewish people. Here's a quick summary. Haman's plot backfires. Uh, uh, They have a big meal. And at that meal, Esther exposes Haman's plot to kill the Jews, including herself. Xerxes loses his mind. He gets angry. He's told that Haman built gallows, very high gallows, to hang Mordecai on. Well, the king, in an ironic twist, goes and hangs Haman on the gallows he built for Mordecai. And then on top of that, he gives the estate of Haman to Esther, who then gives it to Mordecai. And after that, the Jewish people then were delivered from the threat of death and empowered to defend themselves from those who would want to take their lives. You know, the Jews celebrate a holiday called Purim. The the Purim was activated in this moment and is still celebrated today because of this moment, and they commemorate it. So Esther is an incredible moment in history. Now, I really had to skip over a lot of really cool details. Again, I encourage you, open up the book of Esther. Just take the next day or two and just read it and, and, and take this framework of what we're talking about and see what you can grab in addition to what we're talking about in this moment. Now, what does all that mean for us today? If God's sovereignty is not an excuse for our passivity, what does that mean? Look, uncertain times are going to happen. We're living in, in uncertain times right now. But here's the thing. Uncertain times come and go. And they ebb, they flow, they change. But God does not change. God is unchanging, and his sovereignty doesn't change. He's always in control, he's always aware, and he's always using the good, the bad, and the ugly, our pain even, and, and the mess we see in the world. He'll use all of that to accomplish his will. We saw that in Esther. What a, what a mess. Yet God somehow wove it in a tapestry to, to deliver his people. So that can give us hope that no matter how messy things are, no matter how messy my heart is, my life is, my family is, no matter how messy how uh, my community is, no matter how messy my nation, my, the world is, God is going to somehow in his sovereignty work it out for our good ultimately and for his glory. And we have to rest in that and we have to trust that. But resting and trusting is not passive. There's an action to it. Uh, We actively pray. We actively hope. We take action to be a blessing, to be salt, to be uh, light to this world as God's called us to be. And so really, a good understanding of God's sovereignty really unleashes us to trust God more, to worry less, to operate uh, out of fear less, and to operate more in faith, and to speak boldly uh, for God, to love boldly with God's love, to make a difference in the world around us, to attempt great things for God and His glory. See, I want to help you realize that the details of your life, your gifts, your opportunities, even the pain of your past has been sovereignly allowed by God 
but also giving you a responsibility to leverage all of that to somehow make a difference in your life and the lives of the people around you for the kingdom of God's impact. You know, our challenging situations look very different than Esther's. I mean, look what she faced. You know, you've got an extermination of a whole people group. Uh, you've got this rags to riches story. Our, our dilemmas look different, but we all have our dilemmas. Relationship concerns, health concerns, money concerns, threatening circumstances, unwelcome situations. We've got Hamans in our life, right? We have all of these things, but no matter how bleak the future may look, ultimately we're always faced with a decision. Be passive, hide, put our heads down, hope for the best, or trust God and His sovereignty and His will and take action. Action through prayer, action through good works, action through just trusting Christ and doing what God has called us to do and walking in faith. And so God is sovereignty. God is sovereign. And in His sovereignty, He's placed you where you are, with the people you're around, and the circumstances you find yourself in. And so... A time like this. God has put you where you are for just a time like this. And what are you doing to leverage the resources, the history, the circumstances you're in now for God's glory and for the good of other people? Now remember, Esther isn't the hero of the story. God is. We're not trying to be like Esther. We just want to be used by God like Esther was used by God. That's why we choose not to be passive when we understand God's sovereignty. So God's going to carry out his plan. He's going to carry out his will. Are you going to be along for the ride? And if you do get on the ride, you're going to see deliverance. You're going to see transformation in your life if you're trusting Christ. As you pray, as you live for God, you're going to see it make a difference. It might might take a long time. Uh, It might take a a brief moment, but you're going to see deliverance. You're going to see relationships restored. You're going to see addictions broken. You're going to see oppression, depression broken through. You're going to see lives change. But we just have to be in for the long haul. That's the way we actively live in God's sovereignty. And if you really want to step it up, make sure you're praying. And if you really mean business in your prayer life, then you have to fast. Like, all prayer is good. All prayer is personal. All prayer is intense. But when we really mean business, like, if you really want that person you love to come to know the Lord, if you really want that person to to break through, then you're going to fast over those situations at some point. They just go hand in hand. And so that's why I'm calling you to take on a fast. It's not a big fast. It's only fasting one day for three days over the next three weeks. And so pick a day of the week and just say, this is, this is not about losing weight. This is not about, just, every time I feel hungry, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for that burden on my heart for, for my life or for, uh, for, for someone I love deeply. And so I encourage you to take that as one of the action steps. Also, I want to talk a little bit about one of the most important aspects of Esther that I don't want you to miss. Esther points us to Jesus. That's what's so beautiful about the Bible. The Old Testament, the New Testament, they're not two different books with with two different storylines. They're all one. And Esther points us to Jesus. Esther had a dilemma that was going to cost the lives of all her people. We have a dilemma, and it's going to cost the lives of everyone spiritually. Our dilemma is sin. And so sin is going to result in not just physical death, but spiritual death, separation from God for all of eternity. And so we can't fix our own sin problem. That's the dilemma. 
We need someone else. Our good works aren't going to fix it. Someone else can't pray for us and fix We cannot fix the dilemma. God can only fix the dilemma. And so he sent Jesus to die on the cross to fix that dilemma. Um, he did that through a mediator. Esther was a mediator. She mediated between the Jewish people and the king. Jesus came as our mediator, the ultimate mediator. Uh, Esther was, did a good job, nothing like Jesus. So in the power of Christ and because of his death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to go before God and receive forgiveness and restore a relationship because Jesus is the ultimate intercessor and mediator. Think about why that is. Esther was willing to give her life for people, but Jesus actually gave his life for us. And so it's great that Esther was willing, but she didn't have to die for the solution, for the deliverance. But Jesus died for our deliverance. And so we even see these nuances in the book of Esther, how they point us to Jesus. Matthew 20, 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus gave his life for you so that you can be pulled out of the dilemma, and now you have a decision to choose to believe in Christ and his work on the cross or to try to do it on your own and passively or <laughs> um, fut- uh, with futility try to work your way to heaven. Also, Jesus did that on the cross. Here's a fun little nuance. You know, Haman saw the gallows and thought he was going to kill Mordecai and it would be Mordecai's end. And then he was actually, those same gallows became his destruction. You know, I bet when the devil saw the wood cross, He thought it was going to be the destruction of Jesus. It was going to be the end of Jesus. But really, the cross delivered the death blow to the devil and to death and to sin. And so we see all these little ironies and all these little nuances in the book of Esther. Esther points us to Christ. And now we have a decision. Trust Jesus as our mediator um, and our Savior and our deliverer or reject him. And God's sovereignty does not give us an excuse to be passive with the most important decision you could ever make in what you do with Jesus. And so for those who said yes to Jesus, uh, we've received deliverance, and now we're to live a life of active service to the one who delivered us. So again, God's sovereignty is not an excuse for our passivity. We don't see that in Esther, we don't see that in the Bible, and we don't see it play out in our life as well. So I hope today that you've been encouraged to trust God more because he is sovereign, but also not to get stuck in passive thinking or passive action. You've got to step out and boldly be used by God because he's sovereign. And so one question I want you guys to talk about at the end of the service, I'm going to put this up now, write it down, so that you can have a discussion among yourselves to really launch from this moment into really some application and encouragement with the people you're with. And if you're alone, uh, this is a great question to get on the phone or a Zoom or or a text message with somebody. Here's the question. Where do you sense God has placed you for such a time as this? Just look around your life. Where do you sense God has placed you for such a time as this? And... What are you actively doing with the opportunity? Because you're not going to be passive. What are you actively doing with the opportunity? So hopefully that leads you to a place of action. And don't forget the challenge, that the fasting is part of the action. In fact, I want to invite you that if you are taking on the fast, we want to pray for you, and we want to encourage you. So get out your phone, and would you text the word FAST to 440 
276-5575. That's your way of just saying, like, I'm doing this. And so text us, let us know. I'll share with uh, us next week, like, how many people took on that challenge. And then we're going to be praying for you as you're praying and fasting. So if you're taking this on, let us hear from you. Just get out that phone and text FAST to 276-5575. We'll be praying for you. Another action step is for those of you who don't know Christ. You've never placed your trust in Jesus as your mediator, as your deliverer. Maybe you've been hearing about Jesus for a long time, or maybe today everything's clicking. We want to hear from you and encourage you as you take your next step to follow Jesus. Would you text us the word Jesus? That's clean, <laughs> pretty plain and simple. Text Jesus to that same number, 440 276 5575, and then we'll get in a conversation to help you take your next step in following Christ. I also want to just give you a couple of reminders of things you heard about earlier. Uh, tonight, we invite you back for a special offering. Uh, we have something called Real Talk. It's going to be a live uh, 6.30 p.m. Facebook feed for moms by moms. We have a panel of moms in different seasons of life. Great opportunity, by the way, uh, to get on our Facebook page and invite your friends who don't go to church to come and listen. I think everyone's going to be encouraged no matter what stage of mothering you're in. So moms, see you tonight at 6.30 for Real Talk. And also, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you for your faithful giving here at CVC. This moment can happen because of your faithfulness. Uh, we see a lot of needs being met right now by a church body and our church leadership, and all of that's happening. We see food being taken out and delivered. We've seen masks being made and delivered. We're seeing money given to families who are in hard times. We're seeing encouragement taking place, people being pulled into community. All of this is happening right now because of your faithfulness. So thank you for your online giving. Please don't forget to have your giving moment today and send in your uh, gifts so that we can keep the ministry strong. I want to thank you for your faithfulness in that. Now with that, I just want to close us in prayer and then don't forget to ask that question uh, at the end amongst each other. So let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for today. And we thank you for stories like Esther. And even though we only had a glimpse today and only, only really scratched the surface in a lot of ways, it's very clear that you're sovereign and you can use crazy situations to still accomplish your will. How, how encouraging that is. That no matter how crazy our life can be, no matter how, what we've gone through, you can still work our messes and our pain and even our victories and our skill sets and our gifting for your kingdom impact. And Lord, to bless other people. So God, help us not to be like Esther. Help us to be used like Esther was used. Help us to trust your sovereignty, but not in a passive way, but in an active way. So pray that for all of us, that Lord, you would make it very clear uh, for where we've been placed for such a time as this, and that we would actively be serving Jesus with it. I pray for those who need to come to Christ today, that you give them um, the immediate boldness to text Jesus and get that conversation going. And Lord, as uh, so many of us will take on a fast, maybe even more than one day a week, but Lord, at least that one day a week for the next three weeks, Lord, would you hear our prayers? We fast because we believe it will just get your attention and, and let you know that we really mean business with these burdens of our heart. So this is a fast unto you for the next three weeks, one day a week. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for letting us be with you in your home. And we look forward to being with you next time.